The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. This morning we come to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, Verses 11 through 16, I preach verse by verse through a book of the Bible. This is where we are uh, today Uh, in this text. Our our subject uh, is justification by faith. And I want you to hear what I'm going to say next. This is no overstatement. This is the most important sermon I've ever preached. And I would argue it's the most important sermon you've ever heard I didn't say it's the best sermon I've ever preached. I didn't say it's going to be the best sermon you ever heard. I'm telling you, this is the most important message. This is the core of Christianity. You get this wrong, you get it all wrong. Uh, There's an urgency about me today. I'm I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm, I'm not angry. There's an urgency in me for your soul before God. And there's an urgency in me for what I hear in this part of the world being proclaimed. So with that in our hearts and minds, we come to Galatians chapter two, beginning with verse 11. And I invite you to stand as I read the word of God. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for clarity. Give clarity in this hour as I seek to be faithful to your word and give clarity to the hearts and minds of those gathered in this room and those listening via the web. I plead in Jesus' name. Amen. As you're seated, this is the main idea of this message. By faith alone, those who trust in the finished work of Christ are forgiven and made righteous. I'm answering this question. How is a person made right with God? Could there be a more important question? How is a person made right with God. To set up this foundational truth, Paul uses a story from his life. 
And before I explain briefly verses 11 through 14, you need to understand this, that in this ancient culture, to have a meal with someone, to have table fellowship with someone meant that you were saying to them, I accept you and I approve of you. So verse 11, when Cephas, that is Peter, came to Antioch. Now Antioch is where the gospel had begun to spread outside of Israel. It had become the missionary sending place. It was a city of about 500,000 people. There was a large population of Jewish people, but predominantly it was Gentiles. So Cephas comes to Antioch. At this, during this time he was there, Paul, I, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? For certain men came from James. He was eating with the Gentiles before they came. So prior to this group of people coming from Jerusalem, Peter was having meals with Gentiles. So he was saying to the Gentiles, you're accepted and you're approved. You're in. You're a part of the church. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, and I'd underline this, fearing the circumcision party. So fear is driving Peter's decision now as to what he does. And the rest of the Jews, so Peter's actions now, because he's a leader, a pillar in the church, his actions now reverberate through the Jewish community. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, because he's the one leading this charge, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how could you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So here's the question. What does this have to do with justification by faith? What's the connection? Let me give you three things. Three things so you see how the Bible's working here. Number one, when the core doctrines of the faith and justification by faith is a core doctrine. When the core doctrines of the faith are being negated, the violators must be opposed for the sake of the gospel. Must be. So let's imagine this is just making up an illustration. David Platt, very well-known preacher, head of the IMB. Let's say David Platt came to Gastonia for a couple of weeks and he fellowshiped with Parkwood and he started having meals, but he would only have meals with white people who were a part of Parkwood. And we showed up on Sunday and I said, David, you are out of step with the gospel. You people would freak. This is what happened. Paul calls Peter out publicly. Now, get this. Don't miss this because some of you like this kind of stuff because you just love confrontation. This is not a personal issue. This is not because Paul didn't like Peter, it wasn't that Paul lost his temper. He reprimanded him because, as text says, he was condemned for his actions. 
And because this was public and because he was leading others astray, a public reprimand was necessary because of the widespread impact of what Peter's sin had led to. You see, Peter was acting out of fear. Had he ever done this before? Yes. He denied Jesus three times out of fear. Peter has a propensity to act in fear. Paul is a man of great courage because, because of his convictions. And let me just put a warning label on what I just said because some of you love to hear this kind of thing. No one should appeal to Paul's example here as a pretext for disrupting the peace of a congregation or a denomination over trivial theological issues or personality quirks. However, neither should anyone take comfort in Peter's hypocritical action when we are really confronted with a situation that calls for clear, uncompromising stand for the faith once delivered. Let me just sum it up. Here's some core doctrines. The word of God alone. Someone claims this is not the Bible. That needs to be publicly confronted. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That needs to be confronted. There's several other core doctrines that ought to be. That's why we state for you the four core beliefs of this church. We will not compromise. And let me just say clearly, we will publicly call out people who do. Those things are core issues. However, <laughs> I'm not gonna publicly call out somebody because they differ on the millennial kingdom with me. Now that's the kind of stuff people get all fired up about. You know, what day is Jesus coming back? Let's fight. That's not the issue here. It's a core issue of the faith. Second thing, when you claim to believe justification by faith, but you allow the fear of man to force you to act contrary, you are a hypocrite and out of step with the gospel. The key phrase in this text is in verse 14. When I saw that their conduct, not just Peter's, all who joined with him, when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. He calls them all hypocrites. Here's what a hypocrite is. Let me give you this definition. A hypocrite is a person who has the right belief with wrong actions. A person with right beliefs with wrong actions, that their actions are negating what they claim to believe. So when Peter was saying, I'm not having meals with Gentiles, he was negating the fact that he claimed to believe salvation was for everyone by faith alone in Christ alone. Or let me say it this way. He was siding up with the Judaizers to say, you people are unclean and you need to become like us, which leads me to a third reason. When you think that your works or race make you superior to others, you violate justification by faith. Now hear me, my white brothers and sisters in this room. This is why you must be adamant against white supremacy. White supremacy says white people are better before God than any other race. That is a lie and that is anti-gospel. And we must let those brothers and sisters know that we do not believe that and we do not agree with that. But let me press it further. You can go into a nation where everybody has the same skin color. 
Let's go to India. India has a caste system. And that caste system dictates who can hang out with each other. When William Carey took the gospel to India and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, and when people claimed to believe, before William Carey would baptize them, he would ask them this question, do you still practice the caste system? And if they said yes, he wouldn't baptize them. Not because he believed that added to their salvation. What Carrie understood is they didn't truly understand what Christ had done. They thought because they were in an upper caste that they had been saved while these people down here can't be. This kind of mentality is rampant. And I can get fired up right here in a big way. And I've had people ask me why we're trying to go to this neighborhood or that neighborhood or why we're going to this nation or that nation. Those people. That is anti-gospel. And that is wrong. And that needs to be opposed. Now, what was the core issue of the Gentiles and the Jews? Kosher. Heard that word before? Kosher. We all think that ties to food. Here's what the word kosher simply means. Satisfying Jewish law. So if you're kosher, you're satisfying the laws of Judaism. So here's what was going on. Peter was saying, and these other Jewish people, we're not eating with you because you're not kosher. The issue was not what they were eating. The issue was who they were eating with. Because you are not keeping the Jewish law, then you are therefore not righteous. This is where it ties together with justification by faith. So with that in mind, Paul now proceeds in verse 15 to lay down the thesis for the rest of Galatians. He's answering two questions in the rest of this epistle. Number one, how is a person made right with God? That's what's gonna consume us this morning. How is a person made right with God? Now, don't miss this. Second question, how does a person live righteous? Because here's what's gonna happen. People are gonna hear how you're made right with God and say, well, here's the conclusion. I can do whatever I wanna do now. Time out. It's not what the gospel's saying. So how is a person made right with God? First, let me tell you how they're not. No one, no one is justified by works. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know, that is, those of us who are Jews by birth, who are Christians, who are followers of Jesus, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have also believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So let's define justified first. Justified means to be declared righteous. This is a term borrowed from the law courts. Justified is the opposite of condemnation, being found guilty. And some people have defined justified to mean not guilty. Easy. Monroe Whiteside, who was a member of this church whom the Lord took home uh, this year. Uh, Monroe was a lawyer and he was in my uh, systematic theology class. We we're talking about justification by faith and 
He corrected me and I'm grateful that he did because he helped me understand something that I needed to understand. Saying not guilty is an insufficient explanation of justification because in our court systems, you could be declared not guilty and be yet as guilty as sin. It just means there wasn't enough evidence to convict you. God does not say you're not guilty. Here's what God says, you're innocent. That's powerful. You're innocent. You're righteous. You're made right. A person is not justified by the works of the law. By the works of the law, no one will be justified, declared righteous. His point is no human deed, however well-motivated it is on your part or someone else, no matter how sincere you are, no one can achieve a right standing before God that results in the verdict of justification. Now turn over to Romans chapter three and I want you to hold your place there. Because we're gonna come back and forth to Romans three. While you're turning there, I'm gonna start in verse nine. We're gonna focus on verse 11. What then, are we Jews any better off? In other words, he's saying, we've kept the law. Aren't we better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. For it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Now look up here and I want you to listen to me. I think there are a bunch of people in this room who have an asterisk over this verse. And that asterisk could be, and likely is for some of you, well, I was raised in church, I've been a Christian my whole life. My head wants to explode when I hear this. I heard it this week. Well, if anybody's in heaven, it's Aunt Susie. She was a good woman. Just want to tell you, I don't care how sweet Aunt Susie was or is, no one is righteous, no not one. No one's goodness, righteousness, or accomplishments make them right before God. Verse 20, for by works of the law, no human being. Now the Bible is emphatic there. No human being will be justified, declared righteous in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 23. Now here's what the Bible's teaching you. The law was necessary. The law was necessary to show us that we have violated God's law and that we are in fact sinners. The law condemns us. I've actually met an individual, one, who said, I've kept the law my whole life. I mean, just as cold, blank, straightforward, kept it my whole life. Whew. That's why Jesus said, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. If you hate your brother, you've murdered. It's not just what you do with your hands. It's what happens in your heart. And the scripture here is clearly teaching that all of us, every one of us have sinned. Quote, now the true way to Christianity is this, that a man first acknowledge himself by the law to be a sinner and that it is impossible for him to do any good work to save himself. Now folks, this is a radical truth. 
This is what sets Christianity, this and the next point, is what sets Christianity apart from every religion in the world. Other religions acknowledge sin. Islam acknowledges sin, by the way. Other religions acknowledge sin, but here's the remedy for sin. They vary, but this religion says, here's a list. Do these things, it's five pillars in Islam. You do these five things, you're in. Or shortcut is just commit jihad and you're in instantly. I'm not trying to bust on terrorists, but folks, when they, when they play that prayer back on 9-11 of those men in the microphone, they legitimately, sincerely believed because of what they did, they were ushered instantly into heaven. Mankind will create all kinds of things, a list to say, keep this list and you're in. Here's what Christianity says. The list condemns you. You can't keep it. So what do I do? Next part of the verse. Justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Here's the definition. Justification is the gracious act of God, which God declares a sinner righteous solely through faith in Jesus Christ. Martin Luther said, this is the article which the church stands or falls. You lose justification by faith, you lose Christianity. John Calvin said, justification is the hinge on which everything in the Christian faith turns. I love that image. What swings on a hinge? A door. Who's the door? Christ. Now, let me just address this. I'm so tired of him cutting Luther and Calvin and all them old people. I don't care about that. Look up here, you good little old Gastonia Baptist. If it wasn't for Luther and Calvin, you wouldn't be sitting here today. If it were not for the reformers in the early 1500s who stood up and said, what you are preaching is not justification by faith. You are preaching something that is damning people to hell. They sounded forth the gospel again and the gospel spread throughout the world and people lost their lives as a result. And that's why many of them ended up here to freely preach the gospel. So let's unpack my definition. It's not mine. It's David Platt and Tony Marita put it together. That justification is the gracious act of God. Often referred to as grace alone. Grace alone comes from the negative, not by works of the law in this verse. So it's not by something you did. It's a gracious act of God. So there's nothing on us, in us that warrants merits, initiates, or causes God to save us. Justification is all of grace, which means 
that faith is evidence of grace. Therefore, we've got to be careful that we don't make faith into a work of the law, so to speak. And I'm quoting, I fear that we've done this with such things as formulaic prayers, which when recited are supposed to result in conversion. If we're not careful, we're saying, quote, do this and you will be saved. Now, I'm sure I've got a lot of people's attention right now, and I want you to pay close attention to me for the next few minutes as to what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. And I often say, don't write me letters because I won't answer. I will answer every letter on this subject and I will get some. What I'm about to say is gonna upset people. You listen through my logic, you listen through my argument, and you hear what I'm saying. In the 20th century, man came up with a simple little formula, and they called it the sinner's prayer. And preachers like me got up in front of audiences and said, Everybody bow your head and close your eyes and repeat this prayer after me and you will be. Ooh, careful. Do this and you'll be saved. Only God knows the thousands of people who have been deluded by that promise that if they would do this, they'll be saved. Now track with what I'm going to say. If a person had saving faith or has saving faith, that saving faith preceded any preacher calling them to a sinner's prayer. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Here's what I mean. Romans 1:16. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who, what? not who prays a prayer to everyone who what would prompt someone to pray a sinner's prayer from a sincere heart faith but I don't want you to hear the alarm in me though of what we've created of people is you do this you're going to be saved when people aren't considering what Christ has done and who Christ is and what he's accomplished, they're not believing on that. They're trusting in a prayer. Now, how do I know this has happened? Because I have counseled hundreds of people who said to me, I'm just not sure as a Christian, I prayed that prayer, which I always stop people and go, what prayer? You know, that prayer, what prayer? Well, the sinner's prayer, where's that? Where is it? Now, some of you are real nervous right now. You say, what are you saying, preacher? Here's what I'm saying. Look to Christ and believe. Amen. Believe. In Christ alone. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. This is what I'm going to say to you now. This is the word of Christ. Turn to Romans chapter three again. 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a what? A gift. It means you didn't earn it. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by what? Faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It is to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and justifier of the one who has what? Faith in Jesus Christ. What are you having faith in? What are you believing? It's not a mental ascent. It's that you're running to him for refuge. You're calling on him for mercy. For what? That on the cross, Christ both satisfied, so God was just and justified. Here's what it means. On the cross, Jesus Christ, the sinless Savior, who kept the law perfectly, bore the full wrath of God for me and for you. God did not look down from heaven and go, "Ah, it's okay, you're in. No. God said, none of you are righteous, not one of you. But I will send my righteous son and he will hang in your place and he will bear the wrath stored up for you on the cross to satisfy my justice. Jesus satisfied the justice of God. But God didn't just forgive you on the cross, you good Baptists and Pentecostals and Methodists and whatever else you are from this part of the country. God didn't just forgive you. He justified you. You know what that means? That means he declared you righteous when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished on the cross for your sake. So here's the question this morning. Am I trusting in Christ alone through faith alone by grace alone? you're turning the Titus, I want you to track with this illustration. I've dealt with a lot of people who've doubted their salvation. And, and, And it was a good conversation. I had a similar conversation with a lady this morning who said, it's just, it's just too simple. It's just too simple. What, what do I do? Here's where most doubt is coming from. Either number one, you've never trusted in Christ alone for your salvation. That's never happened. You're trusting in an event. You got up and walked to a preacher and he told you what to say and Whatever. Trusting in an event, or here's what you're saying. Preacher, just tell me. Tell me what else I need to do. And here's what you're doing, friend. You are slipping closer and closer to a precipice. Because the moment that you believe that you add something, you no longer believe. This is the core issue at Galatia. 
If you claim that you can add something to the gospel, then the gospel ceases to be the gospel. Are you trusting in Christ alone? This is Titus. I love this. Paul says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. That's a pregnant phrase right there. He saved us. Excuse me. Question, did you help him? No. Let's be emphatic here. No. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let me just pause on the word mercy for a second. Mercy is extended to desperate people who can't help themselves. The Bible intentionally uses that word. This is another reason I cringe up inside of myself when I hear people say, well, you know, I was raised a Christian. I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm wondering inside of you, are you saying I really didn't need mercy? That I wasn't really desperate. Every one of us who have been saved have been saved by the mercy of God, by the washing of regeneration, by the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being declared righteous, justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know what that means? Through Jesus Christ, you get everything God has. That's incredible. Now I want you to turn back to Romans chapter eight as I draw us to a conclusion here. So I heard Wayne Barber one time teaching on Galatians and he said, Galatians is Romans when Paul was mad. That he shrunk Romans down to just a few chapters. Romans is an elongated explanation of justification by faith. An elongated explanation of the gospel. And it's really mainly found in the first eight chapters, this explanation. So Paul comes to the end of this explanation of justification by faith, and he restates it surrounding some questions. Watch this, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's what he was referring to in Titus, were heirs. Verse 33, this is massive. This little verse is massive and it gets tucked away and missed by people all the time. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect. All right, track with me here. This is the weight this preacher feels. What 
we're all going to stand before God. I don't believe that. Good luck. You'll believe it. We're all going to stand before God. And here's what Paul's saying. At that moment when you who are trusting in Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone, when, when you stand before him, who's going to bring a charge against you? Maybe the accuser, the brethren will be over there. Hey, hey, I got... Maybe some family member will say, I, I, I know what he was like. I lived with him. Maybe you'll say, I don't deserve this. Watch this. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who declares righteous. You sang it a few minutes ago. Nothing in my hands I bring. This is the way it's going to be. Nothing. I have nothing to offer God. Nothing. It is God who justifies. It is God who declares righteous. And it is those who by faith alone trust in Christ. Here's the typical response to Christianity. It's happening right now in this room. You know what the typical response to Christianity is? That's too easy. Let's flip that on its head. What are you really saying down in here? That's too easy. You know what you're really saying? If that's your argument right now, if that is your argument, it's too easy. You know what you're really saying down in here? Tell me something to do. Tell me something to do. And the Bible says, look to Christ and believe. Are you trusting in Christ alone? Through faith alone, by grace alone. You say, well, I'm just not sure back there. I don't care about back yonder. I don't care right now. I don't. I'm looking at you face to face. Whatever day of November this is, 2017, I'm looking at you face to face and I'm asking you right now, are you trusting in Christ alone? Oh, to God, your answer is yes. Because, friend, what we're about to sing is coming. One day, we're all going to stand before the throne of God above. And on that day, I have a strong and perfect plea. It's not for me. It's for Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I trust in this room and even those listening that the cry of faith has already come. 
that the people have said to you, I believe. And for those who have said they believe, oh God, I pray now that we would celebrate our salvation, that, that we would celebrate what we have in Christ. Oh God, I pray for a deep and strong conviction. A conviction of sin and a need to turn to Christ and a strong and deep conviction of believers to proclaim this gospel and to stand for this gospel in an age where false gospels abound. God, do your work. Do your work in us, among us, and through us. I plead and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.